Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, January 30th, 2022, called Words Have Power and Authority When, given by Pastor Chris Simmons. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 36. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you and seeing all your wonderful faces. I say that every time I'm up here, but it's like I see people from the sides and I'm over here. Here I get to see all of you and smile at you, and some of you smile back. It's really a, it's really a blessing, and some of you give me this one. <laughs> like I'm about to call you out. I'm not going to call you out yet. No, but we're, we're going to hear today. We're at the end of Luke chapter 4, and this is a wonderful section about the authority of the words of Jesus. Like I said, he's teaching in the synagogue, and the people there are astonished at his words and what's going on, and, and, and not just what his words say, but what his words do. And we get that, and um, it's a wonderful blessing. And then Jesus will again give us a purpose in how we use our words. But my first question to you is this. Have you considered the power of your words? Have you considered what your words do? I have a story for you. We're going to go to the next slide. Consider this for a moment. A group of frogs were traveling through the woods, and two of them fell into a deep pit. All the other frogs gathered around the pit, and when they saw how deep that pit was, they told the two frogs in the pit that they were as good as dead. The two frogs ignored the comments, and they tried jumping out of the pit with all their might, Yet the other frogs kept telling them to stop because they were as good as dead. Finally, one frog took heed of what the other frogs were saying and, well, gave up and fell down and fell down dead. Yet the other frog, he he jumped and he continued harder and harder. Once again, the frogs kept yelling to him, stop the pain and just die already. Yet when when he saw them talking, he continued to jump higher and higher and harder. And finally, he made it out. Because you see, the frog that made it out, he was deaf. And he was unable to hear what the other frogs were saying. He thought that they were saying encouraging words to him. So I tell you that because it's a great reflection of what words can do, right? Words have great influence. They can bring joy. They can bring pain. And here in this example, we see words can bring life. And they can even bring death. Jesus tells us numerous times to, I guess the the paraphrase saying is watch your mouth, right? He says, oh, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. He's telling you to watch the power of your words and watch what you're saying because words are very important. But what makes Jesus' words so different? I mean, people were talking and speaking in the times of Jesus, and yet they were astonished, we read, and amazed at his words. What makes them so different? different. We're going to break that down today. What does it mean to have words that have power and authority? And here's a quick outline for you. Words have power and authority when they do what they say, are backed by the character of the one who speaks them, and they command purpose. So let's hop to that first point over here. First, Jesus's words, they have authority and power because they do what they say. That sounds pretty simple, right? We look at this section, we see Jesus rebukes a demon. He says, be silent and come out of him. And the demon does. The demon is silenced and comes out. And then he goes to Mary's house, right? Not Mary's house, sorry, Peter's house. And he goes to Peter's mother-in-law, who has a fever, and he looks at her with a fever, and he rebukes the fever out of her, 
right? I wish I had that power, right? We kind of went through this cycle, like starting three weeks ago, of like family members being sick. I wish I could have gotten to the first one and said, no. <laughs> All the snot in you, come out of him, right? Rebukes of fever even, just with the power of his words. And this isn't the only instance we get this in Scripture, right? The times you read throughout Scripture, time and time again, not only does he rebuke demons, not only is he rebuking illness, but his words does so much more. His words have an effect on the people around him, the unclean spirits around him, the environment, even normal everyday objects. You name it, Jesus' word does it. In fact, I know Jesus is the originator of this phrase. My next slide. Make it so. Because that's what Jesus' word does, right? You see Jean-Luc Picard up here. He stole that from Jesus. I know he did, right? Everyone's telling him all these different things, and then it's his word that does what? Makes it so. He says, make it so. And when Jesus says, makes it so, it happens. Because you see, it's Jesus' word that calms a storm. It's Jesus' word that heals disease. It's Jesus' word that turns water into wine. It's his word that tells you that you are loved. It's his word that tells you that your sins are forgiven. It's his word, as we celebrate here today, that says, this bread is my body. This wine is my blood, given for you for the forgiveness of sins. It's his word that does that. And it's his word to all who believe in him are given a place with him in paradise. Indeed, it's his word that does that. And boy, I wish my word had that sort of effect. Because you see, my word doesn't make it so. My word ends up doing more like this. The next slide. Just because we say it doesn't make it so. Right? Just because we say it doesn't make it so. And I tell you this, consider your jobs, right? If you've ever been a supervisor anywhere or in charge of people, right? If people just did what you said, wouldn't it be better? Uh, people are skeptical about agreeing. Good. Right? If everyone just did what you said, wouldn't it be better, right? How about parents, right? If your kids just did what you told them to do, wouldn't it be better? Uh, sometimes, right? Or students, right? If you're here a student in your class, wouldn't it be a lot better if the teacher listened to you and taught what you thought was important instead? Yes. <laughs> I hear one, one, one person over there, preach it, brother, preach it, right? Wouldn't it be so much better if your teachers listened to you and just did what you said? Young adults in the room, wouldn't the world just be a better place if they did whatever we said on Facebook and Twitter? <laughs> now, you know, now you know I'm going wrong, right? I don't mean to lead you astray. What I'm saying here is we all believe and we all think that, don't we? That if the world just listened to what we said, it would be better at least until the world actually listens to what we say and things don't seem to get better. Well, hold on a second. I thought I had all the answers. What, what about my words over here, right? And that's a significant difference between our words in the words of Jesus. Because see, our words have a different purpose. We have a lot of self-fulfilling purposes within our words. Yet Jesus' words are always meant to bring people closer to him. Every single word he has is to bring people closer to life, to bring people closer to forgiveness, to invite people closer to a relationship with him. You know what he did? He did exactly what his words said. Exactly what he spoke is what he did. A fascinating thing that, that we could learn a lot from, right? To actually do what you say. Jesus' words did exactly that. They brought life with a capital L. And that's where all his words led, was to life with him. Yet we hear our words, and we often say, um, what we say with our words are often, the outcome is not what we intend. Right? We'll say a lot of things with our words that bring hatred, 
to certain people groups that, that are politically aligning with political parties. Our words will bash one another. Racism, sexism, our words often condemn. Our words often bring suffering. They often bring death. Our words are often like that from the frogs on the edge of the hole. Often our words will do that. And this is the part where some of you will turn out because you say, this sermon isn't for me. I'm, I'm careful with all my words. I only say nice things. I don't bash people. I don't say mean things. I know that I'm all right. And that's why I invite you to listen closer. Because I tell you, decade after decade of human history, every human has always thought that. They've always thought my words are the right words. My words are the kind words. I'm never discriminating. I'm never like that. But we've seen evidence of the contrary, especially in retrospect, right? We all have what I call cultural blind spots. We don't realize what the words we say, what they mean, or even what they do. So I invite you to kind of be aware of that because in a fallen world, the words of death are the ones that are the words that are accepted. Right? The words of death are the ones that we just say, well, that's just the way the world is now. We just have to accept it. And that's what makes Jesus' words so different. You see, Jesus didn't just accept it. Jesus was indeed very contrary with it, and that's where they were astonished. That's where they were amazed. That's where he brought such authority and power to his words. He didn't come to accept the way things were or are. He brought life instead of death. His words brought freedom instead of hate. His words brought forgiveness instead of condemnation. And he did it all with the power of his words. In fact, he followed up his words with actions. As we see him demonstrate, not just on Monday, Thursday, the suffering and persecution that he endured, and then his time on the cross, and then his death. And guess what? He said with his words, in three days, indeed, I will rise. And he did it. And it's only the divine power of God that can make such a promise and be able to deliver on that. So as we move on over here, Jesus' words have authority and power. The second part, because they are backed by his character. Right? Words backed by the character of the one who speaks them. And this is in Luke 4. It happens numerous times throughout Scripture, but I love this. Here in Luke 4, he, he says this. I think I have it up there. Yeah. The demon, the banished demon states, Ha! What have you done with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. There are children in the room. I didn't use my demon voice because it's scary. Right? But imagine those, those words came from the voice of a demon. And I say that because... When the demon comes out, Jesus commands him to be silent. And we see this again later in the chapter. And you see it again numerous times through all the different gospels. Jesus silences the demons who are saying, you are the Holy One of God. Right? Why would Jesus command them to be quiet? Don't you think it only verifies more that he is God? Wouldn't you think the word of the enemy saying something good about you would only be further proof to everybody else that you were God? And Jesus silences them because of this. He tells them to be silent because of the character of the one who speaks the words matters. To prove that point further, I have an image for you over here. Has this ever been you? Right? Maybe you've seen the movie Matilda, right? And in the movie Matilda, um, and if, maybe you've seen the musical or something like that, but Matilda's dad, who's a little girl, um, he, he's a, a sleazy car salesman, right? He, he's shady, and he pours, like, wood sawdust into engines to make them quieter, and he, uh, he takes a drill and hooks it up to an odometer and winds the miles back. You know, and we all have that story about, like, a bad car dealership or a bad car buying experience, and I'm not knocking car salesmen, because I'll tell you what, 
Here in Pocatello, I had the most wonderful experience from a car saleswoman who helped us get our van, and she goes to church here. So there's the secret. (laughs) When you go in to buy a car, (laughs) so do you go to church? (laughs) Maybe that should be the first question we ask. Maybe not, but we had a blessing here. But back to that, you get that general stereotype because of all the times it's probably happened, right? And you see him here. His last name is Wormwood, which if you've ever read, um, gosh, what C.S. Lewis book is it? Um, But screw tape letters, thank you very much. The name of a demon in it is Wormwood. So there gives you a little more of a clue. And you see that, right? So you see this guy, and if you knew all the, all the things about him, right, about this car salesman that he poured sawdust in, into engines to make them quieter and stop the squeaking, he winded back odometers um, on the cars. And he's really just what I would call, like a word for that would be scum, right? He's just scum. He's just taking advantage of people. His character is speaking volumes because he cares nothing for you. You would never trust his opinion on a car, right? Even if it was a good car, you wouldn't trust his opinion, would you? I wouldn't. But maybe that's not your thing. Go to the next slide for me. Here's a cartoon for you, right? It's a marriage counselor, and he says, of course I'm qualified. I have a perfect marriage, and so do all my (laughs) ex-wives. You wouldn't go to a marriage counselor, right, who was three times divorced and cheating on their spouse. Of course you wouldn't. I wouldn't. Why? It doesn't seem like he's a guy of good character. And I'll tell you this, even if he had good advice for me, I wouldn't listen to it. Even if he had good advice, his bad character overrides it. So if you're not getting the point here, here it is. Jesus silences the demons because the character behind the words matter. A demon announcing everybody that indeed this is the son of God is like a shady car dealer saying, I've got a great deal on a good car for you. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't add up for us. The character behind words matter. And they matter to us too, don't they? That's why we want a word from someone we can trust. Think about it, right? You know, I just moved to town, so I had this. You ask around town. You say to someone you trust, hey, Aaron, who's a good doctor in town or a good pediatrician for my kids, right? Or, or hey, Gabby, where's a place where I can buy a good car? Or where's a good place to go out to eat, right? You ask people where something good is. You ask for their recommendation. And what kind of people, here's a question I want to ask you. Um, what is defining good in these statements, church? What is defining the good? When I ask for a good pediatrician, when I ask for a good place to eat, when I ask for a good place to buy a car, what is defining the good? You can answer, don't worry. Huh? They, they so, it's, so they won't lie to you to tell you the truth. The emphasis is on the they. It's someone you what? Someone you trust. They are the ones defining for you what was good because you trust in their what? Their character. Exactly. Now we're on board. I got one. Right? You trust in their character. And in their character, you trust in their opinion of what is good. And here's the easy answer for you, everybody. Who has the greatest character? Jesus, sing all good, we're there, right? Jesus indeed has the greatest character, a godly character even, right? Even at times, at the time of the people there in the synagogue, we read not too long ago in Luke that Jesus had grown in wisdom and stature and reputation among men. In him you could find no fault. We know indeed in him we could find no sin. In him there is only truth and there is only life. 
And that's why when Jesus says this, we can trust in this statement. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And we can take him at his word because we don't hear it because we hear it from the character of Jesus. And we know his character instead of the character of demons. And I, I just, just, it just kind of came to mind. It's a brief excursus. Yesterday at the, the State of the Church, we talked about what was good and what was right, you know, what, what we're doing here. But we talked a bit about outreach and how outreach has really been affected by kind of the public defamation of Christianity and, and the church especially in the media, right? So the, the cross itself, instead of being a symbol of salvation, has become a blockade for a lot of people because of the words being said about the church. We're not blameless, though. At times, it's the words coming from the church. And those words will defame the character of us. And not just of us and the church. Our character, we're here to reflect a godly character, everybody. We're here to reflect the character of Jesus. And that's why our words are so important. Because we see in Jesus no fault was found. We do have faults. We get that. But we're here to reflect the character of Jesus. And it takes us to our third point over here, which is this. Jesus' words have power and authority because they command purpose. We read something very important at the end of Luke 4. I don't know why it doesn't, it doesn't have all like the fancy words, but it's one of the most important verses. You could circle it, underline it, highlight it in your entire Bible, and it's this. Jesus says at Luke 4, he, everyone wants him to stay. I'd want Jesus to stay too. But as he's saying, no, I can't stay, he says this. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Those are the words of God. Those are the words of the Son of God talking. I was sent for this purpose. To what? Preach the good news of the kingdom of God. It summarizes all of Jesus' words, how they have authority and power. No one could deny it because they are they're seeing what happened. They saw a demon come out. They saw him rebuke a fever. In church, in a court of law, we call people who see the evidence of what occurred what? Witnesses. Very good. We're there. Witnesses. That's right. Huge importance. There were witnesses at that time to what Jesus did. They couldn't deny his word. And you know what the entire Bible is? Every gospel? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? They're all eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and what they did. Yeah, there's good teaching in there. Yeah, it's the inspired word of God, but it's because of the witnesses that were there. Mark is the witness of, uh, it's Peter's story, Peter giving Mark the story, but it's Peter's eyewitness account to what happened. You know, Matthew, same thing. It's Matthew's eyewitness account to what happened. Luke, his eyewitness account. Guess what John's is? It's different. No, it's not. It's his eyewitness account to what was going on in Jesus' life. So we have these eyewitness accounts to what Jesus did then. And there are even separate historical documents and other witnesses at the time. So I tell you this, church, what does that mean for you? Glad we got this good book that were eyewitness accounts, but what does that mean for us? Because Jesus states pretty specifically here that the very purpose he was sent to earth was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. His word was his purpose. And it is what his word does for us as well. His word is here to give you purpose. So here's a couple greatest hits of how God's word gives you purpose. Starting off in the great one, Luke, you know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
where it says this, Jesus says to you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my what, church? Witnesses, that's right. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The witnessing hasn't ended, right? The witnessing hasn't ended because you still have eyewitness accounts, not just of what's going on in the Word of God and in the Bible. You have an eyewitness account of what Jesus Christ has done for you in your life. You have stories. You have testimonies. You've seen and felt God working in your life. And if you don't have that story yet and you're waiting for that story to happen, the story could be coming. But you have all the promises in this great book, this living word of God. You still have so much you can witness too. And guess what? In Matthew chapter 28, you got the Great Commission. I know it sounds like a broken record. So it sounds like if we repeat it all the time, it should be what? Important, right? Important, absolutely. Good. So if you don't know it's important yet, it's important. Here it is. This is Jesus' command to us in Matthew 28. All authority has been, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Those are Jesus' what? His words, exactly. Teaching them all that I have commanded you, all the words that I have taught you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this one is one of my favorites, so I'm going to give you one of my favorite pieces of Scripture here, John 14. When I'm having a tough time, especially in my, like, in my schooling and just in my career and in my life in general since being a Christian, this has been something I've leaned on, especially when I pray for purpose and what am I doing and where am I going in life. Here in John 14, verses 12 through 14, we hear this. Jesus' words, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do. Jesus says, I've given you purpose, not just to do the works that I've done, but to do greater things than even I have done by my word, right? These he will do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do for you, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He's talking about prayer here. Church, when was the last time you prayed using words? I know that's an odd thing to say, but, you know, we love to do the quiet thing where we bow our heads and, like, we think. Let me invite you to, this is an exercise for you. This isn't like a salvation thing that if you don't do it, you're, you're not making it, right? This is an invitation for you to participate in a relationship with God. Even if you're whispering, pray out loud a little bit. Say some words. You'll be surprised, right? We have that great verse from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? You'll be amazed at what your heart's been holding back and needs to fall out. Try and pray and use your what? Your words. That's the theme of the day, right? If this was Sesame Street, the word of the day is word, right? It's the word, your words to God, right? Uh, Aaron said it really wonderfully here for the Apostles' Creed. uh, Jesus and God already said yes to us. And something like a creed or, or the Lord's Prayer that we have, that's our chance with words to communicate our yes back to God. What a great gift we have. So you see your church kind of wrapping everything up. You have been given a purpose by the very words of God himself. And that's why your Christian character matters. That's why what you say and what you do indeed matters. That is why your words matter. And here's kind of just the warning that goes with that. I guess it could be a law point, right? Your words matter because you don't want to give the devil a foothold. 
just by the words you state and what you say, to stand up, to be another blockade for another person who needs to know Jesus. Don't let your words be a foothold for the devil. Instead, your words should be a place where the words of Jesus are proclaimed, where we get to sing, where we get to read these great prayers, right? Here in worship, it's not just for Sunday people, right? It's something you could say all week long. Your words should say the promises of Jesus and the sacrifice for all people on the cross and the forgiveness that he brings. Because Jesus used his words to do the same. It was by his word that he said he would rise again in three days, and he did. It was his words that said, I will go ahead and prepare a place for you, and he has. So church, your words as Christians have been given power and authority by Christ to witness to Jesus himself, to people about Jesus, a witness to others and how Christ has worked in your life, and to preach the same good news that Jesus used his words indeed to share. So to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Oh,